Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. It's good to be saved this morning. There's room for salvation in the house. The Lord has just proven that today. It's good to be saved. Amen? It's good to know deep in your heart with all knowledge that if eternity comes knocking at the door of your heart today, you would gladly open and say, I'm ready. Because you know that to be absent here in this body is to be, is to be presence in the Lord. To be absent here on this earth is to be present in the Lord. There, if you're waiting on purgatory, well, you got another thing coming. Because to not be here is to be somewhere else in his presence or somewhere else. And this is exactly what I want to speak to you about this morning. I want to speak to you about the pricelessness of salvation. The pricelessness of salvation, how valuable salvation is and should be to all of us. To know that deep in our hearts our destiny is sure. To know that our future is secure. To be conscious, to be satisfied, to be absolutely convinced that the moment that forever calls... Your forever will be forever in the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that this morning? Are you expecting heaven this morning should Jesus come? I believe more than ever, and I've said this for the past several, over 20 some odd years that I've been with you, that I believe that Jesus is coming. And I'm going to keep believing every morning, every night, that Jesus could come at this moment. It's when you forget that. That your life begins to go wayward and you begin to lose faith and hope and you lose direction. It's important for us to always keep heaven in our minds. Amen. An illustration I read several years ago and it really displays a lot of how people can deny salvation. And we have personal testimonies of people who are just going into this eternal damnation, if you will, conscience. They, people were with them, important people were with them to pen down their words. And I read from the testimony of William Pope, who died in 1797. It is said that this man was a leader of many and a multitude of infidels that ridiculed, that ridiculed everything religious. One of their exercises was to kick the Bible on the floor and tear it up in public just to defy and insult believers in their cities. Friends who were present in his death chamber spoke of it as a scene of terror as he died crying. He screamed out in a High voice, I have no contrition. I cannot repent, he said. God will surely damn me, and I know the day of grace is past. 
You see one who is damned forever as you look at me today. Oh, eternity. Oh, eternity, he cried. And nothing for me but hell. Come, eternal torments. I hate everything God has made. Only I have no hatred for the devil. I wish to be with him. I long to be in hell. Do you not see? Do you not see him? He began to lose his mind at that moment. He said, do you not see him? He is coming for me. What terrifying words this man spoke. Surely he knew his destiny. We have the testimony of Voltaire, a noted French infidel as well, one of the most talented writers of his time, used his pen to insult, discredit, and demean Christianity. Of Christ, Voltaire said, curse the wretched. He once boasted, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand will destroy the edifice. It took 12 disciples to build. Shortly after his death, the very house in which he printed his foul literature became a home headquarters to the Geneva Bible study, as a matter of fact. Upon his death, the physician with Voltaire at his death said that he cried out most desperately. And these were his words. I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell. And you will go with me, O Christ. O Jesus Christ. Mm. What terrible lost words of a lost soul. These are the quotes of dying men who did not believe in Jesus and his heaven. These are words of two men that did not believe in Jesus or his plan of salvation. In a single statement, they did what the writer of the Hebrews said we should never do. This is exactly what these Men did exactly what Paul advised the church never to do. And that is ignore such a great salvation. Never ignore such a priceless salvation. Hebrews 2 and 1. We receive a word of counsel. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angel was binding and every violation and disobedience received this just punishment, how, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. How shall we ignore such a priceless salvation? I want us to really ask ourselves today, for these men, it was too late to understand this truth. For these men, they faced eternity without accepting 
this truth and denying the pricelessness of Christ's salvation. Too late that these men I just quoted understood that all of men, including you and I in this house today, by the grace of God have been given the opportunity and privilege to be saved and forever live eternity with him. How many opportunities have all of us had to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior and have denied it? How many possibly on social media who are just dropping by? How many services? How many sermons? How many people driving their vehicles, listening to preachers on radio, reading literatures at an office where salvation was announced to them and they were invited through that message to come to Christ to be saved, but yet denied it time and time again. What a shame for these two men. And a shame it will be even in our time. Sadly enough, when Jesus comes, thousands, possibly millions, will have done the same as these men. And that is deny this priceless salvation. Thousands of people that will deny the truth of God, deny the truth concerning Christ, deny the opportunity of salvation. Even as we speak today, every six to ten seconds, someone is facing eternity. They're going beyond the veil of what us on this side is the unknown, only to find great disappointment and to realize in great embarrassment because they will feel the anguish and the embarrassment of having denied this salvation and now understanding that everything that was said from the pulpits across the land of those who bear the name of Christ that message was true after all. How sad will it be for the many and how sad is it now for the many who are going off into eternity even as we breathe and speak this morning to finally know and get proof that from every pulpit, every street corner, every radio show of every preacher, it was God making the effort to reach out to the hearts of humanity, and yet they said no. For them, it's too late. They've already been taken to the other side, that side of eternal separation of everything that represents God and His goodness. It's a place called there. Everybody say there. Just know you don't ever want to find yourself there. The Abraham, the, 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 the there that Abraham spoke of in Luke 16 and 26. That there he spoke to the rich man who found himself in the very bosom of hell. Having received the opportunity to receive Christ that day. Crying out to Abraham to even just dip his finger in cool water to refresh his tongue. 
While Lazarus, the poor man, the Bible said, received terrible things during his life, yet he trusted Christ. And instead of receiving a refreshing word or that cool dip of water in his tongue, he heard these words from the mouth of Abraham. In verse 26, he said, and besides all this, this is after him saying, take me there. Please take me back. He said, I can't do that. It's too late for that. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can you cross over from there. You cannot cross over from there. There, again, is that place of eternal separation from God where nothing of peace is found, where there is nothing concerning joy is found, where nothing that is desirable is found, and nothing that is soul-saving, sin-forgiving is found. What a shame it will be for those who had an opportunity to go off into eternity and spend the rest of their forever separate from God. Suffering the same sufferings of William Pope and Voltaire. Their exit from this world has been as it will be for many and for all who deny this invitation of Christ. D.L. Moody, a few hours before his departure from earth, we are told that he got a glimpse of the glory awaiting him. Awakening from a sleep, his last evening on earth, he said, earth recedes and heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. His son was standing by his deathbed that day. And he reaches out to his father. He says, no, father, you are dreaming. You're hallucinating. You're dreaming, dad. And his father responds to him, no, son, I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces and I have felt the joy deep within. I've been there. I can taste it. I, I see it. I've read about it. I could see myself in this place. I'm not dreaming. This is not a hallucination. This is reality more real than the things you call real on this world. God is calling me home. And he ends by saying, this is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. And at that moment, he was transferred into his father's arms. Wow. And like him, there will be many others 
whose closing statements on this earth will be confessions of joy. John Wesley, before he closed his eyes on earth and opened them to gaze upon the Lord's beauty, said, the best of all of us is God is with us. Farewell. Farewell. Charles Wesley said, now I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. Satisfied, he cried. Treston said, blessed be God, though I change my place on earth, I shall not change my company. <laughs> though I won't be here anymore, I'm not going to change my company. It was an immediate transfer for to be absent here on this earth is to be present with the Lord. Paul said the very same thing in 2 Timothy 4 and 6. He said, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. For I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now with great confidence, he declares, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, hallelujah, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Do you long for the appearance of the Lord? Or are you saying, Lord, give me one more day to play? Are you longing for the present? Are you like the church in Revelations at the close of it all says, Come, sweet Jesus, come. At any moment, we could see Christ face to face. At any moment, this venue in this place could be emptied if all of us are saved. At a moment's time, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says that we shall be transferred and our bodies shall be glorified in the presence of the Lord. Oh, but not all. You see, we must never forget this message from this pulpit, ever. For it is this message that this pulpit was established. To declare this truth to the people. There are two kinds of people in this world. This is the message of this pulpit. There are two kinds of people in this world. The saved... And the lost. The saved and the lost. And my friend, my beloved brother, my beloved sister, today you are one or the other. No in-betweens. No, I'm slipping in. No lukewarmness. 
No, I kind of like Jesus. No, I'm kind of ready a little bit. No, no, no. You are either saved or you are lost. I know that these messages aren't that welcome in the church anymore. It doesn't get you voted in for pastor when you preach like that. But it's too late. I'm on my way out. What have I got to lose? Early retirement? Ooh. Ha, ha, ha. So you are either one or the other. You are saved or you are lost. Now, why I don't know your heart, I know that God does. I don't know if you've ignored this salvation call and simply have gone revealing some kind of Christianity facade amongst those who they can believe that you are saved. But I'll tell you what, God looks beyond all facades. God looks beyond corporate ladder positions. God looks beyond positions, finances, and well-doings. We established last week that he looks at the heart. And he knows today, whatever your opinion might be of yourself, God knows the truth. You are one or the other. If you are saved, then for you comes the prize of prizes, which is in Christ. The crown of crowns, the gold of golds. So this morning... My question to you is, how will you escape such a priceless salvation? Such a great salvation, Paul mentions. Why great? Have you ever considered what salvation can do? The first thing I will mention to you this morning concerning salvation, it's its ability It can save a sinner. It can totally change a life. First Timothy 1 and 12. Listen to a sinner's testimony who was saved by the life-changing, impacting power of Christ's salvation. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. That he considered me faithful, appointing me to be to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here, he says, is a matter of fact. Here is a trustworthy saying that Jesus deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which whom I am the worst. 
the pricelessness of salvation. Able to change a man from his carnal ways. This testimony of Paul is a testimony of one who experienced the power of Christ's salvation. A man who, according his own confession, almost in unbelief, saying, I was the worst of the worst. This is an acceptable and trustworthy saying. What I'm saying is, if you knew me, you would know that I was hell-bound. Nothing could change me. For sure, I was a condemned man, the worst of sinners. Nothing else could have saved me. Nothing else could have helped me. Nothing else could have transformed me. But yet, an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> yet an encounter with Jesus, his life was immediately affected and changed. And this is why he joyfully pinned down in his letter to the church of Corinth in chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. How can you ignore salvation? When you know that Christ can change everything about us that we know is an argument with the righteousness of God. See, in this world, we are surrounded by so many religions. Some religions were simply born as hereditary, if you will. Other religions come from the East and from the West, and all of them are designed for a certain amount or a certain design of people. Many of these religions are designed for people that somehow morally they find themselves already respectable people. People who possibly in their own opinion they are good and deserving of such a religion. These are religions of men always very confirming and conforming to the likes of man, showing a certain arrogance of personal righteousness if you mingle with those of those certain religions. We have the Church of Scientology. We have the sect of Sabala, Kabbalah, rather, and others where... Their search is more for people of renown. People of celebrity, if you will. Because it makes their religion profitable and appealing. In their minds, those who embrace this type of religion have already arrived at a place of completion and fulfillment. They're not participants in this particular type of religion because they lack something, but because they might be able to offer it something. But the religion of Paul is totally different. 
The saving gospel of Jesus is totally different than the religions of this world. You see, while religions today seek the celebrity and the popular, the religion of Christ seeks the destitute and the lost. Genuine Christianity taught by the Lord Jesus Christ is a message out to, to the ungodly. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This gospel came to offer life to the dead. It came to bring the prodigals home to the Father's house. Luke 15 and 24 says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. The father of the prodigal son said, He was lost and is now found. This is what happens when we come to Christ. We are changed. We are transformed from a place of death to a place of life and eternal life. This is the ability of this salvation. If you looked at the life of Paul, the evidence is striking and revealing. And that's the way it should be for all of us. When people look at our lives, it should be revealing that you are saved. Oh, that was a good place to say amen. Ah, amens kind of get weaker when responsibility comes from this pulpit. You are the Christ of this world. The world cannot see the Christ that you believe in your heart. You have to reveal him. Salvation has to be evident, seen, testified, embraced, touched. Hallelujah. Unless it is the church has miserably failed. We are robbing the people of the pricelessness of the ability of salvation because in us they see no change. Ah. This is what Paul said. I was lost. But then Christ came. And I was found. This is what the drunkard said. I was a drunk in the streets, but then Jesus found me. And I'm sober and saved and on my way to heaven. But it must be revealing. If it is to be priceless in this world, then we should walk around as we obtain the pricelessness of his salvation. People shouldn't have to guess. People shouldn't have to kind of get a hint that you're saved. They should know you're saved. Because it's evident to those that look upon you. The pricelessness of its ability. Secondly, the pricelessness of its availability. One fact about God's plan of salvation 
that causes it to stand head over shoulders above any other religion in this world is how available it is to all of us. There's no shortage of salvation. No empty shelves, Mr. President, in salvation. Oh, I better not say that. All you liberals are going to get up and walk out of here. I don't care anymore. I'm on my way out, remember? There's never emptiness in heaven for salvation. You'll never come to Christ for salvation. And be said, oh, man. You weren't one part of that 144,000, man. The last one just walked out. You could have been saved, but we ran out. John 6 and 37 says to us, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never drive away. Salvation is available to all of us. The invitation comes to us in Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me, all who you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest of salvation. It's available to all of us. The fact is that for many other religions in this world, one, was, one must meet a list of sometimes rigorous rules. For some religions, you must be born into it. Others are by nationality. Others qualify you with many different things, sometimes socially and politically. Sometimes that criteria is difficult and impossible to meet by many. But it's not that way for Christ's salvation. To experience this salvation that we are talking about this morning is not a matter of how high you can climb or how deep you can swim or how far around the world you might be able to travel to find this salvation. Romans 10 and 6, these are scriptures that you should have deep in your heart. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. You can be saved this morning if you will just open your heart and your mouth. That's all it takes. I've given you testimony of mission trip that I took deep into Mexico. And I went to one of the largest, if not the second, I believe it is, a temple in San Juan de los Lagos. When I went up there, I'll be quick about this. I get emotional with this because it's such a, a terrifying long story. But when we got there, we went up those stairs, which were probably about this high from the ground all the way up. Such a quite beautiful, golden-laced temple. And when we went up the stairs, we were with a certain missionary that had taken me up for a 10-day trip and missions up there. We walked up to the highest level, ready to walk into the temple. And 
we looked back and there's a big plaza, a big park right in front of this particular temple. And in the middle of it, there is kind of like a, a asphalt, maybe 10 foot wide asphalt road. And as I looked, I saw a line of people all the way coming up because the stairs are humongous. Way over there, middle of the church, I saw people climbing up the stairs on their knees. The line was endless. You couldn't see beyond the trees where the line stopped. And what these people were leaving behind on those steps was a, a river of blood. Because they had torn their pants and how long they had been walking on their knees. Miles, these people. They tore their knees up, babies in pampers or underwear. They, their parents would force them to kneel. And the babies were crying and their knees were bleeding because they would make them kneel to climb up the temple to go pay tribute and homage to the Virgen de Guadalupe. This doll they have in this glass case. All in the name of receiving grace from their particular Savior. See, it's not that way with Christ. <laughs> it's not that way with Christ. You don't have to fill your house up with candles. You don't have to carry on a rosary in your neck. It's in your heart and in your mouth that if you will confess Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's all it takes to be saved and get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's available to all. Paul said, I'm a sinner. People don't look for sinners to give them good things. People don't look for persecutors to give them good things. People don't Look to murderers to give them good things, but Christ looks for them all to give them the pricelessness of his salvation. Can you say amen? The Bible says in Mark 2 and 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners unto salvation. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? Isn't that salvation truly priceless doesn't matter if you're the chief of sinners there is no sin great enough that God cannot forgive and wash with his blood I'm too rebellious there is no heart of stone that God cannot change for a God heart of flesh there's nothing you have done that his love cannot cover and bring you in nothing Paul said I'm the chief I'm a master sinner, and yet God's grace found him. God's grace will find you today. Finally, this morning, let me give you one more. And that is the pricelessness of its reliability. John 10 and 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. 
No one, everyone say no one. Say it again, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Greater than any devil. Greater than any lying spirit. My Father is greater than them all. And no one can snatch him out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Romans 8, Paul, and remember the chief of sinners, now sinner to saint. Romans 8 and 38, he said, Now I am convinced, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Come on, give him praise this morning. Nothing. That means that Christ's salvation is 100% proof. We use the term, it's bulletproof. Well, it's hell-proof. If you are saved, then the Lord will keep you. I promise you this, that when you're saved, you won't ever be able to backslide properly. And I know some of you have tried. Haha, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Ask Peter. He tried to backslide. He started hanging around with the wrong crowd around the campfires denying Christ. But yet something was inside. If Christ the Holy Spirit will not remind you, those around you will remind you that you are saved. Because the devil, once you betray him, he'll never want you back. Never. This is why we have Christian people leave the church and rebel and do the crazy things. And after six months, <laughs> I need Jesus. Because Christ won't let you. He won't let you backslide properly, my friend. You backslide from Christ and you are in a head-on collision with Christ again. He will find you. He will chase you. He will find you wherever you're hiding. Even the psalmist said, if I make my bed in heaven, you are there. If I dig all the way down to the wells of hell, you are there. Where can I hide from your spirit, said the psalmist. Talk to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was so beat up and hurt because the church didn't believe anything. No one got saved when he was preaching. And he was upset and he made up his mind, I will not do this Jesus thing anymore. I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. I'm not going to preach the gospel anymore. I'm not going to testify anymore. And he tried it. I'm sure he tried to clamp his mouth. But he said, oh, but it was a... Like a fire shut up in my bones. <laughs> he could not stop. You can't stop the gospel. And you cannot stop the spirit of the Lord. The world has tried to shut the mouth of the church for years. And has never been able to shut the mouth of the spirit of the Lord.
the sound of salvation will be heard until Jesus comes on this earth. And every one of us in this place will hear it. Even the moments you decide to turn around. Now I'm not talking about a predestined eternal security position because you can deny Christ and fall from it. You can deny him and say reject him because of what the scripture says. You'll walk yourself straight into damnation. But if it's because of mistakes and error and things, temptations, I believe and have always believed that somehow God is going to wake you up Wake you up in a nightmare of you burning in the middle of hell and have you running back to this altar for salvation. You see, it's a sure fix when you come to Christ. It's trustworthiness. It's something that all of us should know of. It will never fail us. It will absolutely always be faithful to you if you'll embrace it. If you'll embrace it. But we must come to Christ for that. Some of us in this house, as I begin to close this morning, we seem to forget at times the specialness, if that's a word at all. Forgive my grammar. If there is any specialness of salvation, have we forgot it? If I ask you to close your eyes just for a moment of introspection and you look at salvation and what you've done with this priceless jewel, where is this salvation for you? Is it something you've taken lightly now? You're easily swayed to do stuff, and you're going, yeah, I'm still going to church anyway. Oh, I'll still answer the altar call. Yeah, I still know the songs. I still go to church. Pastor sees me all the time. I'm still there. That's not good enough. I said that's not good enough. The Lord is looking to your heart today. And see if you're holding this priceless jewel of salvation at the top of your list of your priorities. Acts 4 and 12 says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Nothing else will bring you to this place. You might be wrestling with something you know is against the will of God. Come to God. He'll change that for you. Some of you have been fighting certain addictions in your life, thoughts, ideas, philosophies, things that you know are in argument with this saving power and will of God in your life. Listen to me. All of us wrestle like that. Come to Christ. He'll change that for you. All you have to do is surrender it. Lay it down at the altar. Lay it down at his feet. And he promises to change these things for you.
He'll begin to work in your life. He'll begin to transform you on a daily basis. Ask yourself this morning, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How will we escape if we take church for granted, if we take the message for granted, if we take Christ for some kind of commodity, some kind of lucrative token that you carry around. Oh, yeah, well, I go to church here and I do this and the other. It's not good enough. See, Jesus wants to save you. And he wants to save you for real. And he wants to do it for free. If you'll just come to him, he will never drive you away. But the invitation comes to you for free to come and drink as Revelation 22, as I ask you to stand this morning. Revelations 22 and 17, it seems like almost the last appeal of God before he comes to take his church. It's almost as if God is saying, before I execute my plan, split the eastern sky and come and rapture those who have trusted and believed in me. Let me just make this one last invitation. He says, the spirit of the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. What confidence. Then he says, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him Take the free gift of the water of life. When you think about denial and salvation, after hearing what you've heard this morning, isn't it impossible to believe how someone could deny such a great invitation? I'm glad I said yes when I did this many years ago. But trust me, I had heard many sermons before that. I had had many invitations before that, huh? Yeah. They used to tell me, hey, you need Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to come to church and accept. Yeah, 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 yeah. God has a plan for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. God wants to use you greatly. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. I heard many sermons. I heard many invitations. I had many people tell me over the years. And I thank God that by the wooing of His Spirit, because no one comes to Christ less by Him, by the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord convinced me to listen. And I thank God that I said yes. This is the last place I ever thought that I would ever be standing in my life. I had other plans, other professions in my life, in my plan, and I was growing up. I had other things I wanted to do in my life that didn't include God. But now I blink my eyes and it's been close to 40 years. In close to 30 some odd years that I've been standing behind a pulpit telling people about this priceless salvation that I received. 
And God wants you to receive that today. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.